I'm going to say what a joy it is to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Chris Reed. I'm a pastoral intern uh, here at the church. And this morning we return to our series in the book of 1 Peter, uh, which we're entitling Elect Exiles. And in this series, we're looking at what does it mean to be the chosen, beloved people of God in a world that is not our own? What does it look like to live Christianly in a non-Christian society? Today we pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, excuse me. I invite you to turn there with me uh, in your Bible or your bulletin. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, this is how the Bible reads, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may know that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Before we look at this passage, would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I ask that you would help us this morning. Help me to proclaim your word faithfully, clearly, and with power. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to open our eyes and our ears to, to what you have for us this morning. Speak to us as only you can. God, we need you, we trust you, and we love you. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. On a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with this following inscription. James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. And so here at the Alamo, a nephew was able to have his picture in the place of his uncle's because of how greatly he resembled his uncle. And in a higher and holier way, church, this is the goal of the Christian life, that you and I would be so transformed by the gospel that we would greatly resemble our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the gospel, the good news would renew us so when people saw us, they'd see the Lord Jesus. This is what the Father desires, who predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, to look like Jesus, live like Jesus. And love like Jesus. But I've got good news this morning. You and I, 
have been transformed. We've been made new by our belief in the gospel. Not only have we been made new, but we've been drawn into a new community. We're now members of the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, the family of God. And it begs the question, how are those who have been transformed by the gospel supposed to live in this gospel-believing community? Surely, the, the original recipients of Peter's letter were interested in this question. Like you and I, remember they've been chosen and loved by God, born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. They're guarded by God for salvation, were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, and now have been drawn in to God's own family. And as members of God's family, they are to live in, in light of it. Because of who they are and what they've received in Christ, the believers are to set their hope on Christ and live holy as God is holy. This was verses 13 through 19. Though, as I peruse the periphery of this particular pericope, Peter shifts his focus from our conduct in the public square to our conduct in relation to fellow Christians. Here, he, he speaks to us about how we are to live in the church in the family of God. How are those who've been transformed by the gospel supposed to live in this gospel-believing family? This text teaches us that our transformation in Christ should lead to genuine and lasting love for one another. In our passage this morning, Peter shows us the importance of real love in the family of God. And he opens by telling us, since we've been cleansed by the gospel, we ought to show genuine love to brothers and sisters who share in this gospel. Verse 22, he begins, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one, or one another earnestly from a pure heart. Friends, Peter explains to us that as the redeemed people of God, our souls have been purified. The word purified paints the picture of being cleansed, washed, refined, set apart from former impurity and devoted to God. And by our obedience to the truth, which is the gospel of Christ, we have purified and cleansed our hearts from our past impurity. Before we believed the good news, our hearts were filled with impure motives, sinful desires, harmful lusts, and selfishness. Prior to believing in Jesus, the way we treated and spoke to others was both partial and prideful. But when we heard that good news that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the ways of the world, but out of the abundant mercy of God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, resurrect on the third day in order to forgive us our sins and reconcile us back to the Father. When we submitted to that truth, and placed our faith in him, our souls were purified. Some of us probably remember our hearts and lives before following Jesus, before he met us. But by the grace of God, his word has cleansed us. The gospel has transformed our minds, souls, desires, and actions. The gospel has changed us from the inside out and reoriented our lives. 
and in a culture that preaches if we just dig down deep enough, try harder, and be more disciplined, we will be capable of making our world a better place. May we at Grace be the first to admit that we did try harder, and if we could clean ourselves up, we would have done it. But it has only been the love of God poured into our souls that has cleansed our souls, changed our hearts, and transformed our lives. Praise Jesus that by our obedience to his gospel, we now have clean hearts. And the purpose of this purification, Peter says, is that we would have sincere love for one another. Sincere, brotherly love. That the gospel would push us and motivate us to, to love one another deeply with the love of Christ. You see, transf transformation in Christ is not only for our personal holiness or merely having a nicer family. But holy living is incomplete if we are not transformed in how we view and treat other humans. For it was our, our Lord Jesus who taught us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And likewise, John the Beloved said, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Therefore... Because God our Father is love, and we are the recipients of the greatest love of all expressed in the gospel. God has positioned the church to model to the world what true love looks like. Not only that, since we are members of God's own family, there are familial obligations that come with that, and it includes showing sincere love to one another. Thus, Peter gives us the charge this morning, having prepared your souls to love, love one another earnestly from your new heart. Here at Grace, outside in the broader Christian community, love fellow Christians. Love them rightly and fully as the brothers and sisters that they are. This, this love includes both affection for one another and loving actions towards one another. Show kindness. Exercise forgiveness. Be compassionate. Be generous with your material and emotional support. Maintain unity and solidarity. Be devoted and loyal to one another. Cultivate affection for each other here in the family of God. As Jesus has, has loved us with much mercy, grace, and kindness, so we are to love those in the Christian community because love is an, is an outworking of the gospel. Now, for those of us who have been in church for any length of time, we, we know in our brains that Christians are called to, to love each other. Nevertheless, Peter gives two distinctives of our love that can easily be forgotten. First, our love is to be sincere. Having purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, sincere it means genuine, real, authentic, without hypocrisy or pretense. Pretense is attempting to make something that is not true appear that it is, which, which is what Jesus often preached against with the religious leaders of his day. Peter says that our love ought to be without pretense. Our love is to be without play acting or pretending. Rather, our love is to come from a true, genuine heart having real affection for your church family. Friends, the truth is, 
even as Christians, it can be easy to slip into putting on a nice Christian face and doing or saying nice Christian things, though not out of a pure or sincere heart. There was a young woman who had recently broken off her engagement who wrote this letter of lament to her ex-fiance. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning that state lottery. <laughs> Friends, no, this is, this is not sincere love. This is the way of the world, but, but the Bible calls us to love from pure motives, intentions, and thoughts. Which begs the question, is your love for people authentic? Is it real or is it for show? Has the gospel actually transformed the way you view and treat others? Peter tells us our love is to be sincere. But he also tells us our love is to, to be earnest. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnest speaks to the depth of our love and the duration of our love. Our love for one another ought to be strenuous and, and deep. There, there's got to be some effort but in the same way, it should be constant and enduring until the end. Our love should be unshaken by adversity and unmoved by circumstances. And in a time where people are so easily quitting the Christian church, leaving the faith, fighting and dividing over anything, we need to love one another earnestly, truthfully. Earnest love only comes by seeing ourselves as the, as the family that we are. When we understand that we've been brought into God's family and fellow Christians are truly our brothers and sisters. Because a family, a family doesn't give up on each other when times get rough. A, a family continues to love through the pains and challenges of life because they understand that they're tied to one another. And we in the church ought to have this same attitude. As a parent who would never give up on your child... You are to show that same faithfulness to those in the Christian community. To my young people, who may always be annoyed by your brothers and sisters and may argue, but at the end of the day, y'all are still family. Have that same attitude to, toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to have deep, constant love for, for one another. This, this looks like patience, trying to understand each other bearing with one another in love, sacrificing your preferences for the good of the community. If the gospel has truly purified your heart, you can love your brothers and sisters earnestly. Peter knows that loving one another is essential to our cohesion and survival as the church. But where does this love come from? In such trying times in our world as we're in right now, how is this this deep love even possible? Well, Peter goes on to tell us that Christian love that lasts forever comes from the word of God, which lasts forever. Verse 23, Peter says, love one another since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
Peter explains that we are able to show genuine and lasting love towards one another as a result of our, our new birth in God. As Christians, we've been born again, regenerated, given spiritual rebirth. Thus, our love is a product of this rebirth. We're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Not only have we been born again, but we've been born again to a seed that lasts forever. Not a perishable seed that is subject to decay and die with the passage of time, but a seed that is imperishable, eternal, and permanent. And the seed that has caused us to be born again is the living and abiding word of God. God's word has given us new life in Christ. God's word empowers us to love one another. The word is enduring. It stands over culture. It outlasts worldly powers and human glory. And to further illustrate this point, Peter quotes, of all people, the prophet Isaiah, when he says in verses 24 and 25, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As David Guzik puts it, Peter quotes Isaiah to contrast the frailty of human nature with the permanence of God's word. All flesh means all humanity, every person. All flesh is like grass which lasts for a season and is gone. All its glory refers to human beauty, splendor, or fame. As the grass withers and the flower fades and dies, so humans' glory and greatness quickly disappear. End quote. Peter's words here are important because for the Christians in 1 Peter, they're discouraged and despondent at the social situation that surrounds them. Remember, they're, they're exiles in a non-Christian society where the power and glory and opposition of the Roman Empire seem like they will last forever. But Peter reassures them that humanity is frail, like the flower of grass, the, the beauty of the glory, the power, achievements, and accolades of the surrounding culture will not remain. Therefore, the believers ought to hold fast to the eternal word that will remain, the gospel. And so it is with us, church. There are things in our culture that I am sure discourage you. Trials and troubles that appear as if they'll, they'll last forever. And there are also things that we are tempted to put our hope in, be, the, be it earthly powers, temporal wealth, the materials and success of this life. But in the lyrics of my favorite music artist, J. Cole, the bad news is nothing lasts forever. And the good news is nothing lasts forever. And while J. Cole has the first part correct, he too needs to open up 1 Peter chapter 1 because we find that there is one thing that lasts forever, one thing that will remain, and it is the living and abiding word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since this gospel remains forever, we who have been born anew will not fade, but will remain forever as, as well. God will be faithful to save us in the last day. My soul is happy. So we ought to, we ought to love one another because we've been born again by God's word, which stands forever. Now, how exactly do we, we live this out here at Grace? How, how can we become the kind of church family that practices sincere and genuine love towards one another? Peter moves and calls us to cast off the sins that inhibit brotherly love 
and yearn for the gospel that grows our love. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 read, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In order to have sincere and genuine love in the body of Christ, it requires that we put away, literally take off like a garment, all the sins that destroy the community of the church. Here, Peter lists not the grosser vices of paganism, but the vices that actually spoil Christian community. Notice the, the list deals with how we treat one another, especially with our words. Malice, ill will, using your words to deliberately inflict pain on someone else. It destroys fellowship. Deceit, speaking or acting with ulterior motives or anything less than the honest truth from the heart. It's a violation of what speech was meant to do. Hypocrisy, which is pretense. Any type of deception or inconsistency between what we say and what we, we do. Our behavior in church and our behavior at home. And this is a big temptation to, to show your best but hide the rest. Envy, the displeasure at the success, opportunities, or possessions of another and the malevolent, malevolent desire to see these things destroyed. Envy is, envy is failing to recognize that God is enough for you and has given you enough. And we've seen the disastrous consequences of envy throughout Scripture. Cain and Abel. Sarah and Hagar, Joseph and his brothers. Envy corrupts our soul and leads to even worse sins. And then slander, oh slander, malicious speech, saying something to undermine somebody's character, whether it be gossiping behind their back or, or insulting them to their face. Friends, not only are these, these sins inconsistent with the born-again nature of a Christ follower, but these sins are very consistent with the way our world lives right now. Much like the original recipients in 1 Peter, we are seeing throughout our society all forms of verbal abuse. In just this last year alone, our culture has been marked by rivalry, conflict, harmful speech, and division. And in a world of much pain, anger, death, loss, and sadness, the last things the last thing Christians need to be doing right now is fighting and bad-mouthing each other. In order to withstand any outside opposition, we, we need unity. But how often do we, do we tolerate such harmful speech in the family of God, whether it be on social media, behind others' backs, and even in the church? Many of us have either said harmful things, or been hurt by harmful words by other Christians. Friends, this is, this is not the way. But the love we experience in the church ought to be distinctly different from the love we experience throughout the rest of the world. And Peter tells us how to grow in this like, like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The phrase pure spiritual milk refers back to, to the word of God, the gospel. Peter says to long for it, to crave, yearn intensely to go deeper in the gospel so that we may grow in Christ. 
Just as the gospel was the means of our rebirth, the gospel is also the means of our nourishment. The word is powerful. It is how we grow as believers and, and put these sins away. We aren't to leave the gospel behind, but to go back again and again to the teaching about Jesus because it, is it, because it is only by this gospel that we will mature in Jesus. Now, Peter likens us to newborn babies, and this isn't speaking to our years in the faith, but is referring back to our, our new birth, our rebirth. And as proper food and milk are not optional for babies, but parents make sure their children are properly nourished. So it is with Christians. God's word is not optional for us or something we choose to dive in one week and don't need the next. But, but God's word is an absolute necessity for us being properly nourished. Peter urges us as newborn babies who cry out for milk, who, who crave nourishment, we too are to cry out for God's word. We're to have a strong desire for God's word. And I must ask, is that you this morning? Do you long for God's word? Do you hunger for it? Do you deeply desire to read God's word and to study it, to, to hear the gospel preach and sing songs from his word? And surely, even in my own life, there are moments and seasons where fatigue or sadness really make it tough to want to open your Bible in the morning, get that cup of coffee, and, and go to town with the Lord. I understand. But if your life is consistently characterized by malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and you don't yearn for God's word to grow, it might be a sign that you haven't really tasted the goodness of the Lord. It might mean that you never experienced the love of Christ, his kindness in the gospel for yourself. Because when you experience the kindness of Jesus in the gospel, how he, he wanted you before you wanted him. How you were separated from God due to your sin, but, but Jesus sacrificed his body on a tree so you would be reconciled back to God. How you were his enemy, but Jesus made you his friend. How he's achieved eternal life and security for you. When you experience this kindness, it makes you want to grow deeper in the gospel. And the love of Jesus also changes the way that you love others. If while we were his enemies, Jesus made us his friends, surely we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are not our enemies but are our siblings. Peter says that in order to love one another, we are to yearn for the gospel to grow our love. And as I close... Today we learn that, that God has, has drawn us into his own family. He's adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. And by our hearing of the good news and obedience to the truth, we've been born again. We've been made new. Our hearts have been purified and transformed. And since we've been purified, we are now called to show genuine and lasting love towards one another. Love one another. Why should the gospel motivate us to love? Simply because there was one who first loved us. He was born in a barn in Bethlehem. He grew up in, and lived a sinless life. He gave his life for us on the cross but was raised. His name is, is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me?
Dear God, I thank you that you loved us first. Jesus, you gave your life to, to make us your friends when we were your enemies. Father, I pray if anybody is not a follower of you, that, that you would convict them to, to put their faith in you for salvation. But not only for salvation, but to have a relationship with you beginning today. God, I pray that you grow us in our love for one another. We will be family for the rest of eternity. And I ask that we live into that here in the present. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your good news. In Jesus' name, amen.